Shri Gaudiya Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Shri Jiva Goswami Ki Jai, Satsandarbhas Ki Jai, Anantakota Vaishnavinda Ki Jai. Glorious devotees, thank you for coming to another presentation on Sri Jiva Goswami's Satsandarbhas. We'll continue today with our discussion of the Krishna Sandarbha in detail, beginning with the ninth Anucheda. We note here that Srila Jiva Goswami is going through the avatars listed by Sutta Goswami in the third chapter of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, step by step. So he will, in his Anuchedas, uh, present all of the verses uh, given by Sutta Goswami in relationship to uh, 21 avataric descents. And then he will elaborate on these other manifestations of the Lord within the material manifestation, uh, avatars, and the different distinctions between them. Proceeding to the Pariva Sutra, at which point the discussion will become extremely deep and uh, nuanced, uh, bringing forth the underlying Siddhanta uh, regarding uh, Lord Krishna, the Tattva, uh, which underlies the whole basis for our understanding of the Srimad Bhagavatam and our acceptance of Srimad Bhagavatam as the primary praman in regard to spiritual revelation uh, has already been presented comprehensively by Srila Jiva Goswami in the Tattva Sandarbha. So there'll be a lot of uh, just reading these uh, in a systematic uh, manner. Since Jiva Goswami has taken considerable time to basically bring forth every single avatar that Sutta Goswami mentions, um, there must be some significant significance to his taking this approach. And as we go through, we'll see that uh, generally the acharyas recommend when one take up study of the Bhagavat Purana, a systematic approach to uh, the transcendental literature. So systematically, one is recommended to read from the first through the 12th canto. Not that one jumps 
around from one canto to the other, um, but rather that an approach to the Bhagavad is taken um, very systematically, just as Maharaj Pariksit heard it from Srila Sukadev Goswami, one subject after another. And we'll notice that all of these avatars that Jiva Goswami is, is going to speak of here, uh, coming from Sutta Goswami's discourse in response to the sages regarding the avataric descents of the Lord. Please outline those for that. For us was the inquiry from Sonika on the behalf of the sages. So the underlying principles of these avataric descents, how that really, how these avataric descents are presented um, in summary form by Sutta Goswami and elaborately by Srila Sukadev Goswami to Maharaj Pariksit, how that's done um, really we have to see the significance of that in that the in in presenting the details of some of the descents there there's unlimited unlimited manifestations of the lord coming into the material universes but But by highlighting a few of them, as Sukadev Goswami has done in his discourse with Maharaj Parikshit, uh, it goes to further enhance the primary subject of the text, which is the Supreme Lord Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Uh, the avatari or the source of all these avatars. So we start with the very various avatars and eventually step by step, Srila Sukadev goes through uh, various narrations, bringing out their specific qualities and the specific nature of their um, pastimes in relationship to the material world, and specifically, of course, in relationship with the devotees that interact with them and how they're benefited and enlightened through such interaction. So we'll continue here with Nanocheta, the fourth avatar, the sages Nara and Narayan. In the fourth avatar, taking birth from Morti, the devoted wife of Dharma, he appeared as the twin sages Nara and Narayan, the presiding deity of Bharat Varsa, and undertook severe austerity with perfect mastery of the self. Srimad Bhagavatam 1.3.9. The meaning here is self-evident. Commentary in this regard, the sages of Nara and Narayan are twins and have been counted as one avatar. They reside in the Himalayas. Their appearance is narrated in the first chapter of the fourth canto. They were born from Morti, the wife of Dharma. They are the presiding deity of Arsa. Going on to the fifth avatar, Kapila Dev. In the fifth avatar, Sutta gave Swami speaks, he appeared as the sage known as Kapila, the master of all perfected beings, Siddhas, who instructed Asuri in the Sankhya philosophy that precisely determines the nature of the evolutionary principles, tattvas, a doctrine that had been lost due to the influence of time. The word asuri raye 
means that he spoke it to the Brahmana named Asuri. So here we see Sutta Goswami speaking of the, the Lord coming again and again, yada, yada, he dharma, shya, when, when the dharma, when the proper understanding of the nature of the self is lost, then the Lord appears again and again in order to reestablish it. And we notice through all these avataric descents, the Lord is always looking after and looking to the well-being of everyone within his material manifestations. So he's coming in unlimited forms. It's spoken that he's, he's appearing in every species of life. So it's not like the Lord has just manifested the world and given it over to us to suffer and enjoy um, as we see fit, although we do within the material world take on a sense of I-ness and minus within this world, which, which leads to, often leads to, uh, our suffering, the consequences of our activities. So suffering is not done without the Lord providing for us uh, proper directives which can be followed to not only avoid suffering, not only attain uh, the, the major pusharthas, artha, dharma, karma, kama, and moksha. He's provided all the guidelines for this. But also in these avataric descents, those, those living entities who turn their consciousness towards him in devotion are afforded the opportunity to end in its entirety um, their material existence and take on a spiritual existence free of all of the encumbrances which material nature um, confronts us with. So we sh it's, it's a further ornament of the Lord's unlimited compassion, these unlimited avataric descents. What to speak of when we talk about receiving an opportunity to engage in the process of bhakti itself through the compassionate nature of the Lord's devotees. Now, he doesn't offer that opportunity directly, but he utilizes his devotees. Otherwise, he could be um, charged with being um, preferential of offering devotion to one and neglecting another. But rather the devotees utilizing their discriminatory power, make an offering of de devotion, specifically in bhakti, they make that available according to their fine discrimination. Regarding Kapila Dave, the appearance and teachings of Kapila are described in chapters 23, to 33 of the third canto. The word siddha here refers to a person permanently established in immediate realization of the self. Sankhya teaches discernment between the material body, prakriti, and the conscious self, purusha. This distinction forms the basis of all spirituality. Sankhya is said to be the oldest school of philosophy. One of its unique contributions to philosophy in general is its theory of the three gunas that constitute primordial nature, prakriti. Besides the sankhya of the Bhagavat school referred to here, there is also that of the classical school. 
which differs from the former in certain, in certain important details. That Sankhya too is propagated by another Kapila who is different from the Kapila of the Bhagavat. The Kapila of classical Sankhya is said to be an incarnation of Agni. He is the author of Sankhya Sutras. The sixth avatar, Dattatreya. In the sixth avatar, he appeared as the son of the sage Atri on the entreaty of his wife, Anasuya. He instructed Alarka, Prahlad, and others in the metaphysics of the self, Anviksiki. Jiva Goswami writes in regards to this verse from the Bhagavatam, According to the version of the fourth canto of the Bhagavad, it is Atri who openly petitioned the Lord with the sole intent of obtaining a son similar to him. From the above verse, however, it appears that at some time, Anasuya had also requested a boon from Srimad Ishvara himself to appear directly as her son. On account of this, account of this is mentioned in the Ativrata episode of the Brahmananda Purana. And then he, Srila Jiva Goswami quotes from the Brahmanan, Brahmanda Purana. Anasuya bowing down to the devas, Brahma, Isa, Shiva, and Keshava, addressed them as follows. If you are pleased with me and consider me worthy to receive a boon, then may all of you be kindly disposed. Being kindly disposed, appear as my sons. Anviksiki means the metaphysics of the self, Atmavidya. The avatar referred to in this verse is Dattatreya, who is an avatar of Sri Vishnu himself. Some commentary in regards to what Jiva has written in his Anacheda. The story of Datta, Dattatreya's birth, is given in the first chapter of the fourth canto. Atri's wife, Anasuya, gave birth to Soma, Datta, and Durvas. Among these three, Datta is an avatar of Vishnu. Soma is the partial expansion of Brahma and Durvas of Shiva. This was discussed in Paramatma Sandarbha, Anucheta 17. The word anviksiki is popularly used in the sense of logic. Sri Jiva Goswami, however, glosses it as the metaphysics of the self, atmavidya, since that is the meaning most appropriate to the present context. In the seventh to ninth chapters of the eleventh canto, Sri Krishna relates the instructions of an unnamed avadut to Yadu Maharaj. Vamsidar and other commentators identify the avadut as Dattatreya on the authority of verse 274 of the Bhagavatam, which states that kings such as Yadu and Haihaya attain yogic perfection by the grace of Dattatreya. What's interesting here is that Anasuya, Atri's wife, made a direct appeal to have these three, Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu, appear as her sons, whereas Anasuya simply wanted a offspring like the Supreme Lord. So those two desires um, resulted in the appearance of Dattatreya, who is a, a manifestation of Lord Vishnu, an avatar of Vishnu. So Anasuya's request was more direct and therefore was directly answered. And of course, Autry's request was also answered 
he wanted a son like the Supreme Lord. Well, there's no son like the Supreme Lord more than the Supreme Lord himself. Seventh avatar, Yajna. Thereafter, in the seventh avatar, the Purusha appeared as Yajna from Akuti, the wife of Ruchi, assisted by the host of Devas headed by Yama, who were his sons, he presided over the Manvantara of Swayambhuva Manu. The meaning of the second line of the verse is that Yajna himself took the office of Indra during that period. So during the Swayambhuva Manvantara, Manvantara is a, a period of reign of one Manu. Uh, this period is uh, 17 uh, cycles of the four yugas, I believe. Um, if serves me right. So within one day of Brahma, there are 14, I'm sorry, a, man, a, a Manvantara or a period of Manu is 71 cycles because there are 14 Manus within one day of Brahma. So they reside for quite a long time. And as they reside, there is also the assignment of the ministers or the devas within the heavens uh, who take on various posts during their administration. So those posts also, it would appear from the Bhagavad and how it's presented that those devas, their duration in office as a specific demigod would correspond to the length of a Manvantara. Little commentary, Indra is the name of the post of the king of heaven. Sometimes Bhagavan himself assumes this post, as in the case of Yajna described here. Yama and the host of Devas were the sons of Yajna. Although Yajna was the son of Akuti and Ruchi, he was adopted by his maternal grandfather, Swayambhuva, Manu. This is described in the first chapter of the fourth canto. So we see all these various avatars that Sutta is highlighting in response to the inquiry of the sages headed by Sunaka, all of them uh, are unpacked by Sukadeva Goswami in his narration to Maharaj Parikshit. So if we wanted, uh, we could go through every avatar and go to these specific sections in the Bhagavatam and become more acquainted with the, the qualities, the characteristics, and the, and the leela or the pastimes of these avataric descents in relationship to the material manifestation. And as I said, all of these are preliminary understandings of, of, of the significance of the, their contributions all seen in light, specifically through this Krishna Sandarbha of the extreme glory of Bhagavan Sri Krishna himself. And then we, in this Krishna Sandarbha, after we, after we get through this initial uh, presentation of the avataric accent, descents, and we go into an understanding of Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan, then Krishna, Krishna's, the details of Bhagavan Sri Krishna, his leelas, his qualities, his characteristics, his abodes and his associates will be elaborately unpacked by Sri Jiva Goswami in this Sandarbha. Eighth avatar, Rishabdev. In the eighth avatar, the Purusha appeared as Urukrama, 
who he who performs extraordinary deeds from Meru Devi, the wife of King Nabi. He revealed the path of the highly self-realized, Diranam, which is revered by people belonging to all stages of life, ashrams. The name Urukrama here refers to Rishab, who appeared as the eighth avatar. A little commentary here in regards to the descent of Rishav Dave. The eighth avatar was Rishav Dave. In the last phase of his life, he renounced his kingdom and led a life of supremely elevated awareness, known as Avadut or Paramahamsa. Sridhar Swami glosses Vartma Diranam, the path of the highly self realized, as the final ashram which is this Avadut ashram, the path of supreme wisdom, Paramahamsa, which is revered by all other ashrams. In this stage, Rishavdev wandered over the earth while remaining utterly absorbed in the self, without any concern for his bodily requirements. His story is narrated in, the, in chapters three to five of the fifth canto. The word Urukrama, Literally, he who strides widely is used to denote Rishab, who performed extraordinary deeds as an Avadut. The term Avadut refers to a class of spiritualists who are so highly elevated that they are unable to care even for their own bodily needs. They are without concern for conventional morality or social norms. Uh, they're in a class of their own, so to speak. We can't fit them into the Varnashram system anywhere because they have no concerns in regards to their material existence. So much that they don't even they don't even concern themselves with their bodily maintenance. So what what a highly elevated position. And of course, they're cared for within material nature, but they're the exemplar within human society of the ultimate objective of complete renunciation of anything to do with material entanglement. The ninth avatar, Prithu Maharaj. Sutta Goswami speaks, O Brahmanas, in the ninth avatar, on the request of the sages, he, the Purusha, accepted the form of a king, Pritu, and milked the earth to make it yield food and medicinal plants. Due to such action, this avatar was most appealing. Parthivam Vapu means the body of a king in the form of Pritu. The word dugda here should properly be adugda, meaning milked. Usatama, qualifying sa ayam, this avatar means the most pleasing kamaniya. Prita was born from the arms of the dead body of his father, Venu, Vena, who was killed by the sages because of his atheistic behavior. The sages churned the right hand of Vena and prayed to Bhagavan, who then appeared as Pritu. The churning of the right hand signifies that the sages wanted a Kshatriya to rule the kingdom. Pritu milked the earth to supply the people with their needs. As a result, Pritu is referred to as the most appealing, Usatama. This story is narrated in chapters 15 to 23 of the fourth canto. So, Vena was, uh, was the king of the world for some period of time, but unfortunately, um, he took his position, he became a little... Uh, 
overwhelmed by his position. And uh, being so overwhelmed that he even neglected uh, the direction of the Brahminical class, uh, which is always there to support a king and provide proper instructions to him as to the proper administration of their kingdom. And Vena at that Vena at that time was was king of the world. So uh, he basically he basically started to persecute the Brahmanas, and he refused to refused to follow their directions. And uh, as a result, uh, he was cursed, and he was cursed to death. Um, his mother his mother uh, took his dead body and and placed it in a preservative of a herbal bath preservative. And uh, because of that, the brahmanas could go to her and arrange for this churning of a significant, uh, as mentioned in the Bhagavatam, in the fourth canto, significant right hand of his uh, dead body and from that churning and uh, their uh, Brahminical powers and prayers to the Supreme Lord, uh, the Lord himself appeared as Pritu and basically put everything back in order. So the earth, because of Vena's mismanagement, refused. No, no more. No more production for me. If this is your leader, and this is the way he treats the Brahmanans, and this is the way he treats his citizens, uh, I am not going to give forth the bounty which is uh, normally there when there is a proper reciprocation between the various members of human society and a proper appreciation uh, for the Lord and uh, those that administrate uh, the material manifestation for the Lords, the, the demigods in different positions of administration. So when all that is neglected, then Mother Earth, there's definitely some reaction. So Mother or Earth at that time, as relayed in the fourth canto, she withheld. She withheld the bounty. And when Pritu made his appearance, he made amends with Mother Earth. And he was allowed to milk her and all other, and so many other personalities for the, we could say, for the essence of life. He again put, he again brought balance to the circle of life as, as it is meant to be um, within the world. So that's the significance of the Lord's descent as Pritu Maharaj. And we take much instruction from the fourth canto uh, regarding his milking of the earth and his putting things back in order um, after there's uh, improper management. So there, there is significance to this in that the, the Lord does have a plan for everybody and he does care and does have concern uh, through his agents who, who are in the management positions of the material world and if we are, if we are willing to follow uh, his directives, as put forth um, in Scripture, and as coming down through the sadhus and through the the brahmins, the head of society, uh, if we're willing to follow nicely, then everything is provided for us. The tenth avatar, Machadev. In the 10th avatar, during the oceanic deluge of the Chakshusha Manvantara, he assumed the form of a fish. 
He protected Vaivashvata Manu by placing him on a boat in the form of the earth. That's the verse spoken by Sutta. Jiva Goswami writes and unpacks it as follows. The adverbial clause during the oceanic deluge of the Chakshusha, Manvantara, refers to the deluge that occurs at the end of that period. Vaivashvata is the name that would be given later to King Satyavrata. A deluge occurs even at the end of every Manvantara. I'm sorry, I didn't read that right. A deluge occurring even at the end of every Manvantara is heard of in Shastra. In the first canto of Sri Vishnu Dhamadhara Purana, King Vajra asked, O greatly fortunate Brahmana, please explain what takes place at the end of a Manvantara. In response, Sri Markandeya says, O Vajra, the mighty Ishvara in the form of the ocean, tep, uh, tep, tepeptuous, Teptuous, with boundless waves, covers the earth in its entirety. O Yadava, at that time, all objects on earth are destroyed. But, O best of kings, the famous Kula Mountains are not destroyed. Everything else besides the mountains listed in the previous verses, movable and unmovable, is destroyed. On that occasion, O descendant of Yadu, the earth becoming a boat equally holds all types of seeds, the future Manu and the future seven sages. Sri Vishnu Dhamu Tara Purana. Yiva Goswami continues, the same conclusion is perfectly evident in Harivamsa Purana from the chapter entitled Dissolution at the End of Each Manvantara, as well as in the commentary on that section. It is therefore to be understood that the mention of the Chakshusha Manvantara and Vaivashvatu Manu in the verse serves simply as an indicator, Upalaksana, for the Purushas assuming this form and protecting other Manus in other Manvantaras also. So Jeeva is making the point here in his this Anucheta that this descent, Machyadev, is coming at the end of every Manvantara. And as we mentioned, there are 14 Manus in a day of Brahma. So Machyadev, according to Sri Jiva Goswami, in his Sundarbhas, is saying, is, is appearing uh, again and again, because this specific descent that Sutta Goswami is pointing to at the beginning of the Bhagavatam is an upalakshana. It's a, an indicator of all the, for all the other Manvantaras and the ends of their reign. So he's, Jiva's taken the time to point this out uh, so that there's no misunderstanding uh, regarding what's stated in, in Shastra according to our Gaudiya perspective. He's arrived at this conclusion. Some commentary here. Here it is stated that Machyadev appeared at the end of the Chakshusha Manvantara when the earth was submerged in the ocean. He protected King Satyavrata by carrying him in a boat in the form of the earth. Satyavrata became the Manu called Vaivashvata in the seventh Manvantara, which is running at present. Shijiva Goswami comments that although the deluge is described as occurring at the end of the Chakshusha Manu period, this is merely indicative of its recurrence at the end of each Manvantara. 
The story of Matsya Avatar is found in the 24th chapter of the 8th canto. He appeared to protect King Satyavrata, the sages, and all seeds and herbs during the deluge. Bhagavan appeared as a gigantic fish with a horn. The king tied a boat to his horn and ascended into it along with the sages and the seeds. While roaming through the waters of devastation, Matya offered instruction on spiritual topics. It may be noted that the story of such a deluge, deluge is common in most religions. The word Noah is cognant, same original word or root with the Sanskrit word now, a boat. So it appears that some of the Vedic knowledge is, is also uh, coming into the other um, spiritual uh, paths uh, within human society uh, over time. The 11th avatar, Korma, in the 11th avatar, when the Suras and Asuras were churning the ocean, the omnipresent Purusha, assuming the form of a tortoise, supported the Mandara mountain on his back. The meaning is self-evident. The story of Korma avatar is given in chapters five to eight of the eighth canto. It forms part of the episode of the churning of the ocean of milk. This is one of the most popular stories described in the Itihasas and Puranas. Korma, who is the symbol, symbol of stability, became the support for the Mandara mountain, which is being used as the churning rod. The Danvantari and Mohini avatars also appeared in the course of this event. And then Sutta Goswami went on to describe these two avatars, the 12th and 13th avatars, Danvantari and Mohini. In the 12th avatar, the Purusha assumed the form of Danvantari, and in the 13th, he gave the Suras nectar to drink while bewildering the others, the Asuras, in the form of an enchanting, beautiful woman, Mohini. Through syntactical connection, Anvaya, the verb assumed, be brought, is to be adduced from the immediate immediately succeeding verse, meaning that he accepted the form of Danvantari in his 12th avatar and that of Mohini in the 13th. In the clause, he gave the suras to drink, the word nectar, suda, should be added to complete the sense. In which form did he do so? In the form of an enchanting woman. Mohini. What was he doing? Bewildering the others, meaning the Asuras. This description should be completed by adding he brought the nectar in the form of Danvantari. These three, Korma, Danvantari, and Mohini, are all avatars of Bhagavan Ajita. So we can see Srila Jiva Goswami is unpacking the Sanskrit, which is the verse spoken by Sutta Goswami, and he's filling in the proper understanding for what Sutta is presenting here. He's, he's giving us, he's unpacking the Sanskrit, and he's saying, if we take this is the way we should take this verse spoken by Sutta and what it means when we put it in proper perspective. So this is the position of the Acharyas. They're also, they're always taking the Shastra and they're unpacking it uh, completely 
for our edification so that we can see things in the proper perspective. Some commentary here, the story of the churning of the ocean of milk is narrated in chapters 6 to 12 of the 8th canto. Korma, Danvantari, and Mohini all appeared during the churning of this ocean. The significance of the story in regard to bhakti is that to produce the ambrosia of the bliss of devotion, one must skillfully administer one's favorable and unfavorable inclinations in the course of service. One must be discriminating enough not to feed unwanted desires as Mohini cleverly withheld nectar from the Asuras. One must act under the guidance of an authentic guru and fully depend on Krishna as the devas did. Like Korma, a realized guru provides the foundation for spiritual life Bhagavan Ajita, the unconquerable one, helps to curb one's pride. So we could see some further significance being given here in the commentary as to what the sadhika can draw from the narration of this pastime, how we should be care, take care in our devotional practice to properly nourish those tendencies, hearing, chanting, remembering, associating with the devotees, all the safeguards that the acharyas have given us in regards to our devotional life and how we should gradually withhold uh, giving much significance to the mind-body complex and all the complexities of the desires in relationship to our false sense of identity there. So gradually we can come to the proper um, uh, understanding. Uh, we can um, discard all of our anarthas during the period of anartha nivriti and including in those anarthas are not only um, sinful tendencies or tendencies, pious or sinful tendencies in regards to material uh, existence and our false sense of self, but also and significantly uh, to give up to give up misconceptions in regards to um, spirituality itself. So just as we see Jiva has unpacked this one verse from Sutta to bring out the full meaning. And here we have a commentation, uh, comment on the verse to further bring out how it's significant in our lives. This is what our acharyas give us. And more important um, than what we know is our continued commitment to being open to learning more. So it's not just the accumulation of knowledge, it's more development of the fine discrimination to continue the inquiry as we push on. Uh, Swami Triparari just wrote this in regards to some recent discourse that's happening online in regards to the nature of, of the jiva and inherent or inherited uh, by uh, Swami Padmanabha, which they are working on developing uh, into a book, that all these counter arguments are there and they appear to be rooted in so much knowledge, but there has to be more important than all this knowledge and all these quotes um, of this, this perspective and that perspective. There has to be the overriding siddhanta of our sampradaya and our ongoing willingness 
to remain open to the continuing the continual unfolding of these transcendental truths um, for our understanding. So the knowledge that you would give one, preliminary knowledge of mathematics you would give one in their beginning years of schooling would help build a foundation, but eventually as they go on, the more complex understandings will be revealed. So it's, there is some scope for presenting spiritual life and being presented spiritual life by the acharyas according to our time, our place, and our circumstance. And specifically in regards to our circumstance is our qualification at any point in time. And the bona fide spiritual master is perfectly qualified to judge what is our, what is the qualification that we have and what is our mental state and our conditioning and present the message in such a way that it could enthuse our further practice. And what he, the way he presents it and what he presents today it may be different from what he presents tomorrow. This is a very significant point. And uh, if we are so fortunate as to remain open to continually learning from Guru, Shadu, and Shastra, the learning will not end. And the depth of our understanding will not be fixed in any one point in time, but it'll always be a dynamic affair where we are continually receiving more and more revelation according to our ever-increasing qualification. Moving ahead to that favorite of the Gaudias, the 14th avatar, Narasringadev. In the 14th avatar, the Purusha assumed the form of a man-lion, Narasimha, placing the powerful king of the Daichas, Hiranyakasipu, upon his thighs, he shredded him with his claws as easily as a straw mat craftsman splits straws, Eraka. The claws, Narasimha, be brought literally he assumed that which is of or related to Narasimha, means that he assumed the form, Rupa, of Narasringa. Some commentary. The story of Bhagavan Narasringa is found in, the, in chapters 8 to 10 of the seventh canto. This account demonstrates that a devotee cannot be subdued by a non-devotee, even under the most trying of circumstances. It also informs us that one cannot become immortal through the material intellect alone, as attempted by Hiranyakasipu. A finite being cannot outsmart the infinite omniscient God. We have time for one more here. So we'll end in a, a Leela discussion regarding uh, a smaller manifestation of the Supreme Lord in one way. The 15th avatar, Vamana Dev. In the 15th avatar, assuming the form of a dwarf, the Purusha went to the sacrificial arena of King Bali and begged land from him, measuring three steps with the intention of taking back the domain of the gods. The verb kritva, having done, means after manifesting, prakataya. The story of Vamanadeva is narrated in chapters 18 to 22. 
of the eighth canto, the word Vamanaka, literally a dwarf, carries the additional sense of one who dwarfs the pride of miscreants. Dustanam madam, vamayatiti vamanakam. This tale demonstrates that if, like Pali, one remains under the shelter of one's guru, he remains unopposed even by God himself. Everything belongs to God, and if one offers all one's so-called possessions to him, he in turn becomes he in turn becomes subservient to such a person. So we've made quite a bit of progress in this discussion. Uh, we'll finish up with the listing uh, presented by Sutta and elaborated upon by Jiva in our next next. Uh, discourse on the Krishna Sandarbha, and then we enter into a more in-depth philosophical analysis of the nature of Bhagavan Sri Krishna in relationship to his other avataric descents and his other appearances in the world through his various uh, shaktis and empowered agents. Thank you so much for your association. If there's any questions, I will certainly take them at this time. There is a question here. From uh, Sarada Singh, uh, in regards to Machi Avatar, uh, some say that Noah was one of the Manus as well as Moses at another time. Can we know when the next deluge will be? Uh, if we can measure these periods of time, that is mentioned here. So let's go with: Do we know when the next deluge would be? Yes, we're in the uh, 26th uh, yuga cycle of Vaivasvatu Manu, since there's 71 yuga cycles. If we deduct the 26 from the 71, uh, I can't do the math in my head right now, but uh, <laughs> at the end of Vaivasvatu Manu, according to what Jiva Goswami presented here in his Krishna Sandarbha, there will be the next deluge. Um, that would be similar to uh, uh, Moses and the Noah and their ark, and also uh, what's put forth here in regards to Machya Avatar. Also, what wisdom can we glean from these verses today and use it in our everyday life in respect to bhakti yoga, especially for the non-initiated devotees? I hear that you have already touched on this, but I had already written the question. All right, well, I hope I have answered that. Uh, there's much to be gleaned in regards to our devotional life. The entirety of the Bhagavat Purana is there, and all these narrations are there to bring out uh, specific aspects of of seeing these relation, these particular avataric descents and how these avatars have interacted uh, with their devotees and acted on behalf of the protection of human society in general. Uh, we've seen in that uh, much that can be gained if we, if we carefully um, contemplate all of these various avataric descents. Uh, all this will gradually come out. And specifically in regards to hearing the Bhagavat Purana uh, from the Sadguru, from the spiritual master, fully qualified, he's able to bring out all of this uh, in regards to the significance and the significance um, in regards to uh, our advancing Krishna consciousness.
So I hope that helps. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Prabhu. It's very powerful and powerfully put and empowering too. Thank you, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. So with that, I will end this discourse. I thank you so much for your kind association. Vanchakalpadubis cha, kripasindabeva cha, patitanam, pamanevyo, vaishnavidyu namo namaha. Hare Krishna. Priya Karo, Nirma Sarao, Pujitao.